Good morning, everyone. Happy Resurrection Day. Oh, so good to see you all. So um, I realized, I was like, oh, this is, it's going to be Easter. <laughs> That's a special day. Um, and just praying about what the Lord would would talk about as I was thinking I was going to be continuing where I left off on Israel, but I was like, this is all about Israel. <laughs> so anyways, um, I, you know, I thought a great place to start actually was, I, I really appreciate Stephanie coming up and reading the passage that she did. Cause I was like, Oh, this is like, this is really a great place to start as we talk about resurrection day. Um, if you want to go with me to um, Luke 24, um, I have I have something that I'm gonna that I'm gonna just uh, we'll put on the back table at the end that's gonna have some of the stuff that I cover and some of it that I'm not covering because I just know that there isn't gonna be enough time. Um, so some of the verses will be on there, but so this is Luke. Chapter 24, verses 13. I'm going to kind of read this long section. And behold, the two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you are having with one another as you walk on the road, um, as you walk and are are sad? Sometimes I get my translations mixed up and I just go with my own. (laughs) Um, then, Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women in our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body they came saying that he had also seen a vision of that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said but him they did not see then he said to them oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Wow. Can you imagine that? It's been exciting. (laughs) I mean, it's like they're trying to process this stuff out. They're walking on the road, and then all of a sudden, unbeknownst to them, Jesus, the Messiah, joins them, gets in the conversation. Wow, this is an interesting conversation. What are you guys talking about? What do you mean? You don't know what we're talking about? Come on, where have you been? You live under a rock, right? And they continue this conversation with him about, and he's, he's unfolding to them the things that they're trying to still figure out. They're in grief, they're processing, but he's like, hey, everything that's been happening in your Jewish history has all been leading up to this. All of the prophets, everything they've been saying, and I would say, what because I'm going to touch on this, obviously, would be the feasts. The, the feasts, the things that were just, you know, ironed into your culture of what your focus was um, every year is all actually connected to this fulfillment. All the things the prophet talked about are connected to this fulfillment of this day, of these events. You know, don't, why are you surprised, like... You know, you knew this was coming. We all have these situations like this, right? Where we're like, you know, but then you're like, wait, what? What's happening? Yes, we knew this was going to happen, right? Like, I feel like this is like, what, my kids are going to go to college? They're leaving my house? Wait. You know, we're like, yes, this was foretold. <laughs> it was going to happen. You know what I mean? So we have situations that are like this, right? And what is so great and rich that 
is probably not as easy for us to get our heads wrapped around as um, you know, modern uh, Western Christians. But these Jewish feasts were just so important um, to the significant um, things that were going to happen in the future that would be accomplished prophetically. They were all foreshadowing. So we kind of know what a shadow is behind, but this is like the shadows going before, like this is what's coming your way. Heads up. And there's, there's all of these metaphors of real things that happened, but were meant to point to other things that were happening. And, you know, as I was starting this whole thing, I was like, oh, it's just so hard not to dig in. And I know David and Stephanie have really done a great job of covering a lot of these these feasts, and so it's hard to not, like, want to, like, go into, you know, more detail, because I find myself, I'm going back, and I'm like, oh, yes, this is such a good review to have this, but in terms of time, I'm going to just try to be as skip through as fast as I can because there's so much that I want to I want to cover Lord help me highlight what you want to cover so um, these you know the Bible is full of signs that point to the arrival of Jesus right and some of them are obvious well-known prophecies like Isaiah and Christmas you know we, we, we you know we, we those familiar ones handle Messiah all those great songs and Verses of singing prophecy. Um, so there's there's all of those that are familiar to us. But then there's the holy days of Israel that contain prophetic significance regarding the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. Leviticus 23.4. There are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. And then the rest of that chapter 7 just goes on to describe these annual feasts where people would, God's people were to worship, they were to repent, they were to celebrate, they were to reflect on his provision. I mean, you can see why it would be so significant. You know, it is significant. The feasts are significant, not only Old Testament, but even in the future um, millennial where there's this focus on the feast and even the nations coming and bringing their offerings to Jerusalem. It is central to the message of Christ. So, and we know that observant Jews are still celebrating these appointed times. Moedim um, is the Jewish word for it. So we've studied these before and it's just good to come back and say, well, why do we place emphasis on it? Because, again, it's not as central to, like, Western Christianity. Colossians 16, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance of Christ. Um, so here in Colossians, Paul is reminding us that like I already said, they're a mere shadow. They're, but they're super, super important. So, um, like I said, this is going to be a review. I'm going to just kind of have a handout that we'll be, we'll put, Lenny will put on the back table that is going to cover some of what I'm going to talk about and give like some verses. But there are the spring feasts, and those include Passover, um, which is leavened bread, first fruits. Pentecost, and then autumn, there are the fall feasts, which are the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, Yom, Yom Kippur is the one that we often hear about, and Tabernacles, or Sukkot, the booths. I always love hearing the stories about, uh, like, David and Stephanie. I bet you guys took pictures, didn't you? Like, when you were making your little booths? No? I know they were, this is something they've really tried to be faithful as a family with the feasts, and I wish I would have known more about them. That would have been a fun thing, like with kids, right? Like, hey, let's go build our booth in the backyard. Um, so these, are, these four feasts, um, the spring feasts have actually, they have been specifically fulfilled in the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts, as we often talk about Pentecost. But... That wasn't just good enough for God, the fulfillment of those, pre- those things, which I'm going to talk, dial in specifically on Passover. But there was, a, um, there was the, the prophetic meaning, but there's also how he specifically orchestrated the events to have things happen in an exact, specific way correlating to that time. Um, yeah, and we're going to kind of get into that a little bit 
little bit um, specific. So let me jump to that. All right, so like we're talking about, feasts are just examples of prophetic types and shadows. It's interesting because I didn't really think about that way. I'm like, prophecy, prophets, <laughs> feasts. But like, no, the, the feasts are, are prophetic of future events. And Jesus himself said that he was going to fulfill all of the law and the prophets. And Passover is an amazing example of, of fulfilled prophecy. And I wanted to get into some of the specifics of it because it, it's kind of, it's really cool because we just came off of this Passover Seder that David and Stephanie so beautifully orchestrated. And so this is just kind of a chance to get into that a little bit more specifically. Here's a great first example of the whole idea about Passover. Jesus was the one who chose the time of his death. He decided the exact week that he was going to be crucified. He decided the exact time that he was going to be crucified. He decided the exact uh, things that would be correlating to that exact time. So um, remember, it, it, if you think about this, there's multiple times in the gospel, like, like say, for example, in John 7, 6, where his brothers are trying to get him to go to the Feast of Tabernacles, and he's like, what did he say? It's not my time. It's multiple examples. It's like people are trying to get him to do things. He's like, nope, it's not my time. It's not my time. You, get, you know, it's an interesting perspective thinking like he is waiting. But what's the difference between you didn't go then, but you go now? You were, you were waiting for this. He was waiting for the specific time that the father had already appointed, moiding the appointed times. So when Passover comes that particular, he's like, okay, you know, the time is at hand. The son of man must be betrayed suffer and die and rise again. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. And this is where, you know, we, we were going through with the matzah um, on Friday, and this was representing that unleavened bread. We know in the scripture, leaven represents sin. And so, indeed, Christ had to be that Passover um, that unblemished lamb. So I'm going to go through some, there's more examples than we, we're going to have time, and I really just hope I can get through uh, as many as I can, but there are some very specific ways that Jesus, um, Jesus is coming and his sacrifice was fulfilled in Passover. And I love to go through them because it's just, it's just like mind-blowing. There's some of them I, I already I knew, but then I, I, I came upon some more that I didn't know about or I kind of just overlooked or took for granted. But it's just, it's really, when you mind the depths of the specificity of God and his eternal plan and how he orchestrated things thousands of years ago before they were even going to happen to get them to correspond to the the minute, the hour, the second, and in just the way that he planned, it's just, it's, it just blows my mind. So the first one, and it might seem so obvious to us in Western Christianity and not, you know, being on this side of the shadow, that Jesus was the sacrificial lamb. We know the story, um, the last judgment in Egypt with the plagues. What was the last one? Was that? The firstborn sons, right. That was the most intense, severe plague in Egypt where the firstborn sons would, would die. And so Moses led the people in the solution, the foreshadow of what was going to come in the future is that they had to get the, the Passover lamb. It had to be offered very specific instructions. It had to be sacrificed at twilight. They had to, it had to all be, it had to be eaten in haste. It had to be, um, the blood had to be sprinkled onto the, the lentil, the top of the doorpost, on the sides of the doorpost. Um, there was all these specific things. They had to be in the house. Anybody that was in their household had to be in the house. Um, so, it, you know, it, it was the thing that was sanctifying and making that dwelling holy. And it was protecting them from the coming judgment. Anybody that was in the house was what? 
They were covered. They were safe because their sacrificial lamb had been offered. So if you go back to that verse, for indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. It's just, you know, I think that, like for us, probably as a new Christian, these would just be words, right? Okay, for us, you know, Christ, Christ died on the cross for my sins. But if you have a Jewish background, it's like, indeed, our Christ, our Passover was sacrificed. This is unbelievably meaningful for them, right? They've got this history of thousands of years, and this is anchored into everything that they do. It's in the fabric, and then it's like the Passover, that lamb, I'm thinking of Egypt, I've got my own paradigm for it, but according to the Bible, this is Christ. He is the Passover lamb. It isn't that lamb without, that lamb without blemish with all the specific instructions. Like, that is him. That is his body. Hebrews 9, 12 through 15 not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and, and the ashes of heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant. Remember this because this is talking about the new covenant because we're going to come to this later. Under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So, again, these Old Testament sacrifices, they're shadows. Jesus was, Jesus was the one casting the shadow of what was going to happen. He was... <clears throat> He was coming behind it. So Hebrews 10 is basically telling us that the animal sacrifices were insufficient, right? So Christ's death is actually fulfilling God's will. Jumping down in that passage in Hebrews previously saying sacrifice and offering burnt offering and offerings for sin you did not desire nor had pleasure in them they were offered according to the law right and he said behold I have come to do your will O God he takes away the first that he may establish the second by that will have by that will he will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all so there was this old thing the old idea of the sacrifice has got to keep doing it over and over again the bloods and goats I mean it's just it's it's a never-ending cycle but it's like the new covenant is like no this is once and for all this is it there isn't going to be a need for any more the purpose of the lamb um, the sacrifice was to do that so that's the first thing that's obvious. Jesus was the sacrificial lamb. And again, yeah, it feels kind of obvious, but it's really, you know, just want to make sure we connect it to that, to that um, exodus reality. Um, a second point about how Jesus fulfilled the Passover is that the purpose of the lamb was to avoid punishment for sin. Again, I know I feel like this probably feels so elementary, but um, there are different offerings for different things. There was peace offering, guilt offering, fellowship offering, thank offering. And, but in Ezekiel 45, the, I'm sorry, Exodus 45, the reference to the Passover is a very specific type. What type of offering is it? Sin offering, right? A very specific type. So it, this offering was not going to be satisfied in the way that all the other offerings were. I'm not going to do a thanks offering here. I'm, I'm not, you know, it's, I'm not going to do a fellowship offering. This is, this requires a very specific thing. And that specific thing had its connection to dealing with sin and not just something that, in other words, this was a sacrifice. It wasn't just doing out of, I love God, you know, but I'm thankful, so I'm going to give him this grain offering. But it was something that had to be done in the context of Exodus because it's dealing with sin, and the sin was going to be the cause of the first, the, the death of the firstborn. But Jesus 
just as he saves us from coming, the coming judgment, the Passover lamb was designed to save them from the coming judgment that was going to be on those firstborn sons. And the thing is, is that, you know, it didn't matter whether you were an Israelite or not, right? It wasn't just about, like, um, it couldn't be like, in some of the plagues, like, the first three, the Israelites were affected, just like the, the, um, the people in Egypt. But the, but the plagues following that, they, they weren't affected. But when it came to this particular, this last one, the, the plague of death, um, you couldn't just say, well, I'm an Israelite and I'm in Goshen, so I'm good to go, right? Now, something specific was required. You needed the blood of the lamb to cover your home or the death of your firstborn was going to happen to your house. So it was just another reminder that a sacrifice to avoid punishment for sin was needed. Exodus 6, 6, referring to the 10 plagues, says, Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Which is obviously telling for us today, right? It's just deliverance is connected in the context of judgment. It's intense. Exodus 12, 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. See, Egypt was full of idolatry, so he was punishing them. Um, He was punishing those that were worshiping false gods. They were probably involved in satanic rituals. How does that involve Israel? Well, Israel wouldn't need a Passover lamb unless what? They, they were not innocent, right? Israel was not innocent either. I mean, they were rebellious. You know, they were resisting God's own plan um, to deliver them. You know, they were constantly fighting Moses and Aaron. I mean, they, they had their own issues, right? Ezekiel 27, to them I said to you, each of you throw away the abominations which are before his eyes and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Because it didn't take them very long in the desert and before they were doing what again? Building idols, worshiping idols in rebellion, right? They weren't a perfect people. Um, They may have been slaves, but they were sinners, weren't they? So they needed a sacrifice to avoid their judgment as well. Jumping to another reason that Jesus fulfilled the Passover, it had to be a male lamb. Um, Why was this significant? Adam represents all of mankind in that Adam died, right? Jesus represented all those that came to faith. He was the second Adam. He was the one who was the perfect, sinless representation 1 Corinthians 15, 22, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. 1 Corinthians, just further down in that same chapter, 45, and it is written, The first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So Jesus satisfied our Passover. He was without spot or blemish. So there's this process that goes on, that went on then, and actually still goes on today. There's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not, like, advocating for this, but, but there is, like, the Temple Institute is, like, right now, like, looking for, you know, spotless things. And they do this whole inspection process to find out, you know, to, to try to meet all these particular requirements. Exodus 12, 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. So it couldn't have any deformity or disease. It couldn't have any blemish. Um, Hebrews 4, 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. So Jesus um, was the sinless offering. I'm going to kind of get to this, um, hopefully, but, you know, there, there's, this whole, there's this whole process that they had to go through where 
you know, where their their sacrifice could get eliminated if it if it wasn't, you know, if it um, if there was anything that would reflect that it was blemished or or imperfect, it was it had to be that way. They and this is where where in the Old Testament they got into trouble because they were taking shortcuts and they were like doing blind and lame and diseased animals and he he was like you can't do this <laughs> we can kind of really understand why now right it had to um, it had to qualify as a perfect offering. First Peter one eighteen through nineteen, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. From your, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So he's pure, he's holy, he's perfect. He's the unleavened bread without the leaven, without the sin. I'm not holy, but I still need a sacrifice to meet the requirement of God. This is why we have to have it. We've all fallen short of the glory of God but he met the requirement. And if you like picture this Passover scene for a minute. Imagine that you're there and let's just say that I think we could all agree that just like if we were there then, just like now, we're not without spot or blemish whatsoever. And so if if this if this was happening to us and we were being inspected over, um, it would be bad news, right? We would fail because, um, fortunately, it isn't based upon... The evaluation is not being made based upon me. The evaluation is not being based upon you. But the evaluation is being made based upon your sacrifice. So then it was like, they, they're not, they know that they, they, they don't have what they need, but it's, it's all being evaluated on that spotless animal. So... The same way with us today, we receive Christ. We're not evaluated based upon our goodness, but we're instead evaluated on Christ, the sacrifice that was inspected, he was examined, and he's the only one who can make that once and for all sacrificed. So I get to be passed over. You get to be passed over. Like we're in that, that house Picture communion, right? There can, or I'm thinking communion when I'm thinking about them consuming this lamb sprinkled with the blood. They're walking through the doorpost of their house, and they're, they're in. It's the lamb did it. The blood did it. John 10, 7, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I was thinking about connecting that image to they're walking in their house, right? You're picturing it. And that's once they're inside because the blood is on the other side. They're, they're covered. And this is what you, Jesus said he was. He is the door of the sheep. So another example is that um, the sacrifices had to be one year old. These lambs had to be one year old, so perfect, and also had to be a specific age. One year old was considered to be like the prime of life, so it was like the highest value. It's like you're beyond the point of like, like right now, I would like consider it like Landon. You know what I mean? You know, he's almost going to be 18 years old. You know, you've been feeding him, investing into your teenagers all these years. You know, you're depositing all this time, like, and energy in them. And then now they're at this point where they're like, you know, they're of a viable age. You know, uh, we've, we've got the storm going on, rain's coming down. And, you know, I see Landon, you know, putting on his boots and he's There we go. Wrong button. So, so I'm, it's all coming down, you know, and then here he is. He's getting boots on. He's got his coat on. He's getting ready to head out and deal with like flooding. His dad's already out there, you know, dealing with like the flooding going on. Like he's, boy, now, now we're getting a return on our investment. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, that, that lamb is like, you're not just feeding into that lamb now. It was, just, it was a lamb that couldn't, you know, do much. But in this case, it's like, well, now there, there's that, that was um, a commodity at that point in time. So um, in, in, the day, in that time, 
18 might not have been considered the prime, though I use that example, but more Jesus's. Jesus was the prime, right? Like at 30 years old, I mean, it's a maturity. We all know, like, if you're older than 30, you realize there is a big difference between 18 and 30, right? <laughs> so that would, be, that would be the prime, but it was like it had to be, it, he had to be in that certain age. That was also the, the age where you could actually, you know, serve in the temple was, was 30. So the, um, yeah, so Jesus was in the prime of his life. So the other thing is that the, uh, the Passover lamb, it was selected on the 10th of Nisan on the Jewish calendar. So what they would happen is they would, they'd get their, their lamb. They'd, they'd, yeah, their lamb would be selected that they were going to use for a sacrifice. They would hold onto it for multiple days and then they would sacrifice on the 14th. Now, some of you are feeling kind of like, oh, I just don't like this idea of like hurting animals. And, you know, it's like I'm going to hold on to an animal and I'm going to like, oh, this is a cute, you know, look at this thing. And then, and then I'm going to, you know, kill it. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, you know, there, there is some pain involved because like death does involve suffering. And there is, there's something about that because it's like something sinless had to die. This, this animal that I've got to look at for four days, it, it has to die because, because of my sin, because of my transgressions. And so they would get that, that lamb selected on the 10th. They'd hold it for several days, and then it would actually be sacrificed on the 14th of Nisan. This is what some scholars believe. Um, it makes a lot of sense to me, as I'm going to connect to. John 12, 12, the next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So there's something happening related to this reality I just told you about the, the sacrifice. And you can probably tell where I'm going with this, right? Palm Sunday, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. Why is he coming into Jerusalem, by the way? What, why, why did Jesus decide he was coming this time? On the donkey? What was the reason to go to Jerusalem? Passover. Passover, right? Three times a year. Um, they, they went for man, men, mandatory feasts in Israel. Passover was one of them. So he's coming to Passover, and um, there's a great multitude that are gathering there. And we know from when we celebrate this Palm Sunday that they're crying out, Hosanna, which it was, I loved it. Abraham was singing that earlier, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna means that basically what they're doing is they're saying that Jesus is coming. Hosanna, Jesus is coming. We know this now, right? Because it's like a, um, you know, make way, make way. The king is coming, Hosanna. Um, but it's significant to think, maybe we think that's significant to us, but it wasn't as significant to them, but it really was. When they were singing Hosanna, these Jewish people, they were basically saying Jesus is coming, He's the descendant, the son of David. He is the one who would be the Messiah. They were claiming that he was the king of Israel. Right? That was pretty scandalous. No wonder he got himself killed. Right? They, they, they didn't like that. that. That's why, obviously, it did. Everything did ensue shortly thereafter. Um, so he was claiming, yes, to be the king of Israel. So when he came as significant, that's where I'm going with this, he shows up to show himself as king um, in the way that we would understand it because of Psalm 118, which we talk about a lot. But they would have understood that, they would have understood what he was doing. It was like, this is significant. It isn't just random, this guy's coming in on a donkey, they're putting palm branches down. It's like, nope, they were like, he is the coming king. Um, so, just like when they were selecting a lamb for the sacrifice, can you kind of imagine what was happening when they were saying that he was king as he was walking in and laying down their palm branches for him? He was being selected. It's like, those that were believing in him, like, we're selecting you. Even though maybe they didn't fully understand it, they were, like, selecting him. Because they thought they were selecting him to be the king, but they just didn't realize in order to, for him to remove the separation so they wouldn't have to die. He was actually going to have to be a sacrifice. So he was selected to die for their sins. That's what he was being chosen for. So the lamb 
between the 10th and the fourth day of the month, they would, there was this process that would happen. So picture past uh, Palm Sunday is like, they've got their, they're picking out their lamb. They got their lamb. They're getting ready. Passover is coming soon. They've got it. Okay, so that day is significant. And then what happens after this? We've kind of talked about it. There is this process of examining the lamb to make sure it doesn't have fault, to see if it would qualify to be a proper offering. And did Jesus go through some kind of an examination? Multiple things, didn't he? He was being examined. Um, Were they able to find any fault in him? No. They weren't able to find any fault in him. Matthew 26, 59 through 60. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. Why did they find none? He was pure and spotless. He was a perfect offering. He was pure and spotless. They couldn't find anything in him. Even, Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at least, but at last, two false witnesses came forward. They didn't find any actual fault. They didn't find an actual violation of the law. So what did they do? They fabricated it, right? They got false witness, false witnesses. Was that the only thing? Were there some other trials where he was examined? What about Pilate? Did Pilate examine Jesus? Yeah, he did. Pilate examined Jesus, and what did he say? Nothing. He went to Herod, right? He was examined. Pilate said, um, he's without fault in the Roman courts as well. That's John 19, 4. Pilate then went out again and said to them, behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. I mean, I know we're familiar with all this, right? But like, just think about, it. I mean, just to me, it's just a richer significance. It's like, there's this, there's this evaluation that's going on. There, he's being assessed. He's being, is this going to be a good enough sacrifice? Which, again, we just got to put ourselves in the Jewish culture for a minute, take ourselves back and imagine like they're checking things out to make sure everything is going to like meet the requirements. And so they, they were examining and Jesus is being examined and he, they can't find anything on him, secular or Jewish. They, nothing, nothing legit is happening on him. So, so Jesus was inspected and found faultless. Another example. This one I think a lot of us know about is no broken bones, right? Prophecy said that none of John, um, John 19, 31 through 33, these things took place so that the scripture would be fulfilled, that not one of his bones would be broken. So we know, just as a review for some of you may not be familiar, but what happens is that it was a standard practice in Roman crucifixion um, to break the legs of those that were being, um, that, were, that were on the cross. Because what would happen is that they would... Um, you know, getting air in because of the way they were stretched out was not a problem. Air could come in, but they couldn't exhale. So what they would have to do is lift themselves up so that the exhale could come out. So they, in, in Jesus's case, he's lifting his feet up with nails in his feet for every breath that he has, right? And so what they would do is, you know, Jewish people didn't, didn't want to have, uh, you know, a... Uh, some uh, cr- dead people on a cross dur- during uh, the Sabbath, so they would expedite it. They would break their, their legs, and then that would speed their death. But we know what happened is that when they came to Jesus, what happened? He was already dead. He was already dead. And of course, the other prophecy fulfilled, like they pierced his side, blood and water came out. These were all specific prophecies, but his... Um, there was no bones broken. If we go back to the Exodus story, here's the correlation. That sacrifice was not, no bones were to be broken for that sacrificial lamb that they would put on the doorpost when they were in Egypt before they would leave. Revelation 5, 9, and they sang a song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. You have redeemed us to the God redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. 
So just Exodus is the fulfillment in Jesus. Um, he died to ransom us, to redeem us, to rescue us, because we're slaves. <laughs> Out of every people, he makes one people. So Passover is the culmination of this stuff. Another, uh, another quick thing I'm just going to touch on is that in, the, in that whole Passover story, Everybody, that lamb that you would you would take it, you know, depending on your household, it was meant to be split between everybody in your household. The whole thing was meant to be eat, but it covered everybody in your household. If you happened in your household, which would have happened, is that you got some Egyptians in your household with you, were they covered also? Yes. His redemption plan was meant to not just be for Israel, but for all of the nations. So whoever comes into that household, that that is covering them as well. Specific location and time, the Passover, Jesus fulfilled Passover. Deuteronomy 6.2, you may not sacrifice the Passover within any of your gates, which the Lord your God gives you, but at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall sacrifice the Passover at twilight, at the going down of the sun, at the time you came out of Egypt. So it couldn't just be done, obviously the sacrifice was done at Egypt, but you know, they, they could count back to a day of Abraham. And when Abraham was told to sacrifice his son, he initially said, God said, go take your son Isaac to sacrifice him to the, to the mountain that I will tell you. It was a specific place that he told him he had to go, right? According to Exodus twelve six, Passover lambs were sacrificed um, at twilight. So there was a specific time Jesus said, the appointed feast, you go to Jerusalem to do the feast. So we know that that was outlined specific location. This is why people did the pilgrimage to Jerusalem to offer their sacrifices there, right? That was the specific place. What about the specific time? According to Exodus 12, 6, Passover lambs were sacrificed at twilight. So what does twilight mean to you guys? Dusk? I don't know, for some reason, I'm thinking midnight or something like that, right? Um, the word, yes, dusk, okay. So this word translated um, actually means the middle of the evening. That's what twilight means. Jewish days were broken. This is kind of interesting. I never really quite specifically dialed into it, but some of you guys already might know this, but Jewish days are broken up by the daylight hours. So morning, the morning hours is 6 a.m. to noon. So how many hours is that? And evening, which is noon to 6. How many hours is that? So historically, the priests would ascend the altar at 3 p.m., because this was going to be a process, because they needed to get this done before it was going to get dark, right? So with the Passover lamb, the sacrifices were a lengthy process. Um, they needed to be completed by sundown. And so once the lamb was fully prepared, another priest would ascend the temple wall, and with a blowing of the shofar, blowing of the shofar, the lamb's throat would be cut and the sacrifice complete. And, oh, this, I was like, oh my gosh. Then a shout of, it's finished, would be declared. Whoa. Yeah, we've heard that before, right? So the lamb's throat would be cut. Sacrifice would be complete, and then they would say, a shout, it's finished, would be declared. Let's look at Luke 23, 44 through 46, and how Jesus' death on the cross fulfills the Passover sacrifice. Well, I'm going to read it to you, but you can look if you want. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. There's a whole nother, there's a whole nother thing regarding the veil, you know, the, the temple veil being torn, you know. I mean, it just can you imagine? I mean, just think about that for a minute. Like, it's, it's the middle of the day and it's dark for three hours. I mean, 
yeah, I would hope those Roman, you know, I would hope those Roman guards or some people would figure this out. Like, you have to have a complete hardness of heart to be able to not say, surely this was the Christ, right? You, it's, it's a veil covering the Jewish people's eyes. How, how could, like, it's more of a stretch for us than you would think it would be for them because all of this stuff is part baked into their culture, right? Um, but there's a hardening of, hardening of heart in part of the Jewish nation until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. For us, you know, their, their rejection is redemption. And so it kind of ties in to not only that this day that we're, that we're remembering Passover and the significance of um, which their feast, and this is going to kind of be on that handout because I'm, um, I'm not going to have as much time to cover it, but the whole idea of the first fruits, like he rose from the dead on the feast of first fruits because right, he was the first living of the dead. He was um, the resurrection and the life, the truth and the way. And so all of these feasts pertain to specific things. What's really cool, and, you know, for maybe a future time, but the fall feast, so all of these spring feasts have had their specific fulfillment. And there's so much more. There just isn't time, right? It's a, it's a fun study to, to dig into. I had so much fun just going back and reviewing and then finding more things. But... But even when you look at the false feasts, there's no historic days connected to the fulfillment of the fall feasts. Tabernacles, Yom Kippur, say these Rosh Hashanah, Tabernacles, booths, you know, th- those, those things, um, most scholars believe, are connected to specific prophetic fulfillments related to the return of Jesus, the last days. And you know, when you look at the specificity of what we just saw in the fulfillment, and we didn't fully go into it, but of these, of these four um, spring feasts, and then you start thinking about the fall feasts, you're like, oh my gosh, it's going to be so specific, but you still have to have eyes open to be able to see it. You can't like have a formula on it because um, even the Jewish people who had all these prophecies and they had had all these, these prophetic um, uh, feasts that they um, com- commemorated these seasons, they didn't see it, and we could miss it. So it's, it requires this constant abiding, connected conversation with the Lord. And just our understanding of these feasts can give us more context, I think, to pray for the Jewish people, to see how all of this is linked to their nation, their heritage, um, what they what they were what they were born into, what we're grafted into. So um, it's amazing. It's amazing how precise, um, specific, deliberate, and God has got everything arranged down to the every circumstance, every moment. He's right now orchestrating our life and our circumstances for. If, if we're in agreement with him to accomplish his full purposes, he's orchestrating the time and the circumstances for the fulfillment of his fall feasts in the completion of these, these calendar events. And so um, on that note, I'm going to pray and close this. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much that you are drawing us forward with you we thank you, Lord, that we just we can't even imagine the just we just want to mine out the depths of your love, the depths of your care about how you like we think about as a parent how we try to think about things for our kids that they haven't even thought about and try to you know uh, um, order their steps and plan their way and and we do such such a poor job compared to you with this is what you're doing with us like you set Israel on the path that they needed to go you set things in place seasons Moedim that they would be able to um, begin to understand concepts would be so hard for their for their 
human brains to understand, but of divine realities. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you're doing in our hearts, Lord, that you are inviting us to recognize that we need to walk into, through your door, into your covering, you the Passover lamb. We think about communion as we commemorate. You said, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you'll have no part of me. Lord Jesus, we go. I'm so sorry, friends. <laughs> Lord Jesus, we just, oh, Holy Spirit, would you help us to understand as we get so familiar with Easter, we get so familiar with the resurrection day, we get so familiar with saying you died on the cross for our sins. We don't want to be so familiar with this incredible sacrifice that you made, but we want to be grateful we want to be humbled. We want to be changed. Would you break through to our hearts, Lord Jesus? Would you help us to see your love in the way that you orchestrate things? You don't leave off any detail. You, you know every detail of our lives. You know every struggle that we're being faced with right now. You know every trial. You know, every, every bit of uh, unsurety about the future, you, you know it all. You, you are big enough to walk us through it, Lord. We just pray, Heavenly Father, we would take your redemption, not just as a way to cover our sin and be accepted because of you, Lord, but that we would come into the fellowship that you meant that we were to have as a result of this sacrifice, that you died so that we could have reconnection to the Father, that we would reconnect ourselves and have all that you meant for us to have and be full of grateful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.